Hello and welcome to the One Football Women's Podcast. Welcome back to the One Football Women's Football Podcast. We're here to talk more about Euro 2022 with the tournament just around the corner. And I am delighted to be joined by analyst, reporter Christine Cooper of CBS Sports to run through groups C and D. Firstly, Christine, very quickly, you've teamed up with One Football for a giveaway, right? Do you want to tell people about that and how they could be in for the chance to win and what they could win? Absolutely. So uh, we are giving away a national team jersey of your choosing. Um, Pick your poison. Anything goes. Are you uh, from Portugal? Do you want a Portugal shirt? Uh, do you just really like the colors? Do you, do you want to go with the old US of A? Want to hit France? Um, anything that you want to pick, uh, you just have to enter. I had uh, entries on both my Twitter and my Instagram. Um, I believe you have until uh, this evening, July 1st, to uh, get your chance in uh, to win. Um, and then uh, we'll be reaching out to let you know. Uh, I believe you just have to download the app, answer a couple of questions, clickety-click, and you're in. Okay, that's terrible because I'm going to publish this at the start of I next know. week. Um, it's terrible. So if you've already entered, congratulations on beating us to it and Good luck and congratulations <laughs> if you've already won and congratulations to everybody because I have screwed up. Um, let's just move on to the football, shall we? Yeah, let's let's do better there. <laughs> so we've already talked about Group A and, and Group B. So obviously we'll be on to Group C now. There's a few of these groups this summer look like potential groups of death but this is the only one that features two previous winners let's kick off with the netherlands they're the holders and they have a lot of the same squad that they had when they won the euros five years ago also when they reached the world cup two years later they the really do but they later. do have a new manager so exactly that is now the uh i guess if we're gonna throw a little bit of chaos into the machine that's been it um, so they have Mark Parsons at the helm, um, former Portland Thorns, go Thorns. Um, so uh, he's come under some criticism um, since taking over from Serena, which fair enough, right? Big shoes to fill. Um, but he has encountered a lot of injuries and things like that that has prevented the squad from rolling full steam ahead. Um, I think that he's tried to make uh, the Netherlands even more of an attacking side. Um, using fullbacks and, and otherwise to try to get in on the attack. Um, I think that uh, the tactics are smart. I think that the the players are are phenomenal. I mean, you, you're, you're not going to take that away from them. Um, um, one of my faves, um, Viv Miedema, um, up up top there. So I feel like uh, they are, again, once again, a force to be reckoned with, with the only caveat being... Um, they're going to be coming up against Serena again. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there was already a friendly last week, which ended right. very badly for them against mm. England. A, a very confusing friendly to watch for anybody who hasn't seen it and wants to go look at the highlights with the Netherlands playing in white and England playing in bright orange. Um, that might I feel be a like, though, with like the, lack, the lack of change in personnel for the Netherlands kind of gives, like, you know, Serena Vogman, like, the cheat code 
to that squad, right? Mm. Like she, if nobody knows them better than she does. <laughs> so uh, I, uh, Could it, like they haven't had a great couple of years now. When Mark Parsons took over, he was still coaching a club team as well. So he was kind of juggling both jobs for a little while before he fully focused on on the national team after the Olympics last year, um, which is obviously when Serena Wiegmann stepped down and, and went over to England. What Can it work in their favour, the Netherlands, that I think they're, as the holders as well, a little bit under the radar. It feels like, you know, trouble in paradise, but you, you can't write them off. But no one's talking about them as potential winners. It feels like a funny between area for them. I feel like people are also more reluctant to um, anticipate a repeat. Um, I feel like just like statistically, it's unlikely. Um, but, but I don't think we can count them out yet. I just think that given the transition between managers, that's been certainly different. Um, but I think that the talent's still there. Um, if anything, hopefully that's, that friendly with England's kind of shaking them more alive um, to realize, hey, here's here's what we have to work on right now, um, and focus to get to get ahead out of this group. Um, if anything, um, I'm kind of predicting that I think they'll finish second behind Sweden. Okay, well that brings us nicely onto Sweden. So mm-hmm. do, <laughs> why why do you think that? Um, Sweden, another really strong squad. Um, I think. They have the 2019 World Cup bronze behind them, obviously the 2021 Olympic silver. Um, And I think that that loss to Canada in the final really um, has shaken them a bit alive where it's like, you know what, we we really, really want this. We want to finally win Um, with that. What was the the quote without cursing? It was like, not another, I don't want a silver (laughs) or whatever came out of that. but I think that Sweden has, despite being um, more defensive historically, I think they have slightly shifted into a more attacking style now. Um, they've been unbeaten in the last like 29 matches regular time. Um, and now this is their third um, major tournament under Peter Gerritsen. So uh, I think they're a much stronger favorite than people are giving them credit for. And I know you say, you know, they've shifted to being a little bit more attacking. I think... That traditional Swedish organized defensive four four two, it works in tournaments. You saw it work at the Olympics last year, obviously, all the way to the final, and they met a, an also pretty defensive Canada side. I is there something about playing defensive football in tournament football that works, where you just keep it tight and then you just have to nick one goal and you're sort of on the home straight. I think it depends, right? I think it's it's largely um, what what squad depth do you have to be able to even play around there tactically. Um, but also, I feel like um, a lot of these top teams really kind of play similarly. They all lean very possession baseball. Um, lots of four three threes, four four twos. Um, I think some of the only deviations I think that maybe I expect is maybe to see out of like potentially maybe Portugal with maybe like a four, two, three, one, or a four, four, two diamond again is going to be redundant. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, the teams that are the strongest are very, very similar. Um, and so 
I think adjusting up a little bit tactically is necessary, but also, you know, if, if they're playing for width, if they're trying to play down the middle, like there's certain squads that have um, a little bit of special sauce that others don't. And so I think that might be um, the thing that kind of tips the scales. And as you say, Sweden, there is so much, even if they did play defensive football, there is so much attacking talent there that it's not like that will hold them back too much. You've got Stina Blackstenius, Kosovai, Aslani. Uh, it, what's great watching Sweden is to see Fridolino Rolfo play further forward because there's so much talent at Barcelona that we end up seeing her play left back for half of the Champions League season. Isn't that insane, though? I mean, honestly, with Barca, because she's not the only Barca player that that happens with. Um, that happens with... Um, Oh my god! I'm gonna absolutely murder her name again. Oh, do you uh, want, n- should n- I? N- yeah, nigga, n- go ahead because I'm gonna. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, well, we'll talk about Switzerland <laughs> Maria, in a bit. But, but yeah, yeah but, uh, uh, Anna Maria Sernogorovic uh, um, of, of Switzerland is, yeah, is another one who um, yeah will play another right back, back for Barca, but she'll yeah she'll attack for country. It's crazy. Yeah, which you know, and I think that will be that will be something in this group with both of those teams. though, in this group, that will be something that will be really. Sometimes maybe we take Barcelona a little bit for granted. I know obviously Leon beat them in the in the Champions League final in the end, but Barca had gone such a long way over the past two years and, and dominated everybody else that they'd come up against. And I think sometimes we don't appreciate just how good they are when we've got, you know, maybe Sweden's most talented offensive player and Switzerland all-time top goal scorer. And they're playing left back and right back because they're just mm-hmm. trying to find a way to squeeze all of these players in the team. It's it's kind of crazy because the talent and the versatility that has to be present there, forget it. There, there's no way. No. Yeah, I mean, it, I bless them. It will be really, really entertaining, I think, and I hope to watch those players sort of let loose a little bit more. And, and obviously at the back, there's still big names as well for, for Sweden. Yeah. Magdalena Magda, Yeah, for sure. I mean, she's solid. So I, I, there's a lot of defenders. I feel like uh, defenders largely go unappreciated with me. I'm very attack-leaning. Um, but the ones that you have to shout out, she's for sure one of them. Magda is absolutely leading that defensive line, and she does a lot of solid work for Chelsea too. And you mentioned then Portugal. Portugal could play a little bit differently, and that could be interesting. We we do have teams who... A lot of football looks the same nowadays. It's either sort of organised behind the ball or it's high-pressing. Portugal of, you know, 4-3-3, 4-4-2. Portugal have, in, in qualifying, like you said, they've played a diamond quite a lot. So it's mm-hmm. always interesting to see these different matchups. Is there anything... I think Portugal are difficult to talk about, right? They, I think they very much are. One of the 23 players... Yep. Are based domestically, so they're, it's tricky to know exactly what we're going to get from them. Yeah, I think that, I mean, especially with them having replaced Russia in the competition and this only being their second time at the Euros, like, there's there's a lot, right? Like, they also have never qualified for the World Cup, so there's a lot of variables happening all at once. Um, Jessica Silva is definitely not, you know, a, a slouch. She's for sure um, a threat on field. She's Played in Spain, Sweden. She did a stint in NWSL for Kansas City. Um, she's the first Portuguese woman player to win Champions League. Like Kika, she's another notable. Um, but I think that probably like for their squad, it's going to be uh, Jessica Silva and Borges that probably get the most time um, on ball and minutes in the game. Um, I mean, you got the Silvas, that Dolores Silva and Diana Silva also, um, Marchao. 
um, who's more attacking in the mid, and then Amato, who's a little bit more tethered to the defense. They they have it's like you said, it's it's hard to talk about that squad because you don't know what you're actually going to get um, when they show up. But uh, I mean, obviously, I I don't see them making it out of the group stage, but um, obviously, I, I wish them well. <laughs> Yeah, I I would have to agree with you, but how we see football throw up these stories of the, you know... Well, you always want the underdog, right? You want to have that romantic, like, how did this happen? You know, like another squad like like Iceland, who's just a small, small country to begin with, um, where you're, like, rooting for them. So, of course, you want to see, like, this squad who's, you know, has had um, a relatively unremarkable um, international stage for them um you know pop in because of horrible war things happening and kind of like somehow save the day but i don't think we're gonna get that that fan fiction this go around i wouldn't rule it out not with the way that football tends to write its scripts <laughs> the big tournaments are very wacky though i'll say that i don't know i if somebody is like a really really um semi-degenerate gambler maybe you want to drop <laughs> all, all i'm saying is denmark weren't supposed to be at the men's euros in 1992 and they went and won it so you know dragging players off the beach because they were suddenly thrown into the tournament um it, so if we think that we think the netherlands and, and sweden uh, and they're certainly the favorites to be in the top two but if somebody can cause an upset it's going to be switzerland i think so I think so, honestly. Um, ah, you know, like, that's another squad that uh, does tend to switch up formations and tactics match over match. Um, and they have a roster capable of supporting that. Um, not too crazy, though. Obviously, it's same 4-4-3, 4-4-2, I think we'll probably get a 4-2-3-1 um, out of them to start. But um, they have, like, Gunner... Um, Leah Velthi, um, captain, defensive midfield, and then they have like 19-year-old um, Riola Shamali. Um, so I think that they have a few players, especially like Alicia Lehman, who like is one of their best in attack that withdrew. She's, she's out right, injured. Withdrew for, yeah. well, initially they said she withdrew for mental health reasons. Well, yeah. Which... Honestly, if that's the case, more power to her because I mm -hmm. feel like that's a very that's even more difficult to withdraw yourself than having a physical injury um, because that's knowing yourself a lot more. Um, but so they have a Kumba Sao and then Geraldine um, Riddler that will probably be starting two very wide attacking midfielders. Um, and then, as we mentioned, our buddy now, Anna Marie uh, Nogorcevic, um, who would probably be as a central striker as opposed to her role as right back for Barca. Yeah. Which again is, it can't be overstated how ridiculous that is. That... I know it's full silly season. I love it so much. Honestly, like I, the duality of that and the, the be able, the ability to have um, that kind of field vision um, is it can't be more understated. Like, mm -hmm. and and to stress um, again, like this isn't because these these national teams don't have alternatives. I mean, Switzerland have got Romana Bachmann as well. Um, you know, um, we, we we went through some of the Sweden players. Lena Hurtig, I think I missed out. These players 
are forwards. They are attacking players and they just don't play there for Barcelona because Barcelona have so many other options. The, the spoils, my God. I, I Yeah, the, the wealth of options that Barca have. Um, and that's not even getting into like... Um, like Alexia Pacheos and, and it, like the conversation there is insane. They're, they're very stacked. Um, but with, with Switzerland um, under Niels Nielsen, um, they play, they're, they're not big on long passes again, possession based um, constantly hunting for goals. Um, and then they have a really high percentage of shots on target. And so that makes them very much not a pushover. Um, not to mention their first go, they'll be playing Portugal on the ninth. And I feel like that's already in the bag. Yeah, so that was going to be my next, where I wanted to go with this, I guess. And this group. See, we're so in sync. Look at <laughs> us go. <laughs> if, but that feels like, you know, sometimes the order of a group can really make a big difference and, and pressure can be applied that if the fixtures are in a different order, that pressure wouldn't exist. Sweden or, or and or the Netherlands, there's a good chance they play Switzerland I mean, Sweden will be the second game for Switzerland. There's a good chance they go into that behind and have to win. And Switzerland know maybe, you know, if they do beat Portugal, that a draw against Sweden would be a really good result to set them up with, you know, a shot at making it to the quarterfinals with with one more result in the last game then. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if that pressure exists and if it is applied because... This is the fixture, the order of the fixtures that I'm sure Switzerland would have wanted to to get the Portugal game first, to go out and and maybe win that one. And oh yeah, I suddenly think it's, it's the group ideal. looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, I mean, no team realistically is going out saying like, "Hey, let's lose this." I guess everybody's going to come out hammering. You want you want to win, irrespective of what um, the fixture schedule actually is. But um, it certainly handicaps the teams that. Um, psychologically don't do well working at a disadvantage. And yeah, so, we're, we're, we're talking I mean, about the two favorites and at least yeah, one of them the, will drop points in the in the first The game. other side is that of that with big tournaments are the teams that are powerhouses that somehow end up playing down to their opponents erroneously. Um, and, you know, sometimes that catches them out. It's it's a very interesting, and I think I would probably say our most interesting group, um, th- this one. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Because I do also, you know, they've had a couple of bad results against Germany and England the last week or so. But I do also think Switzerland uh, are going to have quite a lot to offer. And I I spoke to the um, to the assistant coach of Switzerland. You can read the interview on One Football next week. Um, last week, while they were on their training camp, and she... She was, you know, taking all of the pressure off the team. And they, Marissa Wunderling was telling me that they, they're going there without pressure. There are no expectations. They're very happy that they've qualified and the work they've done the last couple of years. And if they can go with that mindset into these games and get off to a good start, I kind of feel like anything's possible or they'll certainly feel like anything's possible anyway. I think, I mean, that sounds like a really optimistic, but also completely reasonable way to set yourself forward in a, in a major tournament for sure so on to group d which looks a bit different because i think you know we talked about switzerland maybe being able to cause an upset and the netherlands and sweden two previous winners who are, who are two really good sides group d has one very obvious favorite in france yeah yeah i mean i have a soft spot for france um 
I think they have a lot of talent despite a lot of the issues with their squad or their squad with their manager. Um, Corinne um, Dierker seems to really, really like to poke and prod at her players. I'll say that much. Um, it definitely creates some rifts. Um, and I feel like uh, in terms of like just that personnel management, you get players that like, you know, you have to remember like some players can deal with the tough love and some of them need need the pat on the head at the end of the day. Um, I think that kind of works against them in a lot of ways, not to mention some of the other wilder scandals that now have become sort of synonymous with France national teams. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is there a trend there? Like they have to be the, the, uh, the, cha- the most chaotic is, I don't know. Yeah. I, I like, I, I don't want to, say something that's like a generalization about french people in general so i'm just not going to say anything because it feels like that might be where you're going with that and i'm not going to indulge hey i'm not asking for a general we'll say viva la france how about that that works yeah i think yeah that Um, or allez les bleus as they as they love to say so Um, this is like you're talking as well about a little bit of controversy uh amandina henri and um, and Eugenie Lozoma not being called up to the squad. Right. Right. Two of... And we have, <laughs> but now we also have Katoto making her debut. Yeah. So Marie Antoinette Katoto's first major tournament, she is, I mean, a phenomenon, really. 24 goals for France so far in 28 appearances. She's played for the PSG first team since she was 17 or regularly every week since she was 17 and she averages a goal a game at that level which is just obviously completely absurd this all of it's insane but then also when you realize that like 1v1 with her i i if i am if i am an opposing player i don't want that (laughs) i'm i'm faking a calf cramp and i'm going down for my family's honor face in the ground (laughs) i don't know what happened uh, I I need to restore um, all of my dignity after that match. She's very, very good. Yeah, and one of those strikers who can score any type of goal, I think, as well. Like, she'll be good in the air. She finishes well. She moves well in the box. She can beat players. So, defensives then, coming right, up against also, her, what's the answer? Remember that, like, that she's part of a forward line that's, like, Diani, Selma, Bacha, like, Sandy Baltimore, Delphine Cuscarina, like... They're, they're stacked. And, like, that squad is mostly leaning much younger in contrast to, like, say, Italy. Right. And then and then at the back, it's this isn't just a stacked team going forward, but you've got Wendy Renard, who's the captain, and you've got yeah. her Lyon teammate and Bukbati at the back as well. So this is and then a France Louis. team. <laughs> yeah, it's, this is a France team that, I mean, on paper looks formidable. And I guess the question is finding that balance on the pitch. And again, the fact that Amandine Henri isn't in the squad is still completely baffling to me. But other than that, yeah. you don't I, see just, many was weaknesses. Was there ever like a, an actual statement regarding that or was it on par with some of the other omissions and statements that have come? Yeah, I, it was a surprise that, mm. that she wasn't selected when the squad was named, I think. And and yeah, and especially after the whole world had just watched her Champions League final performance. And not just that incredible goal, but the entire performance. And Barcelona didn't really get any... You know, We've talked about Barcelona a little bit already. 
they mm. they were yeah, harried off the pitch by by Leon really that day. So for her, the, the sort of leader of that Leon team, the leader of the midfield, to not be there is is obviously a shock. It should still be more than enough to get out of the group, but and to win the group as well. But the question will be if France come to regret it later on. The the question is for you now. If France are the obvious favourites for the group, who's going to finish second? Uh, so I feel like I have to go. I I have to go Italy. I think. I I thought about this and then I've turned it over a few more times. I think I really do have to go Italy. I know that um, I was looking at some of the betting sites and whatnot that they're like, oh, like you know, like odds not great, and I'm like, yeah, but when you actually do look at that squad um, and not just because it's like very um, UV heavy, but that certainly helps. Um, I think, I think they've got something there. I think uh, the only other, obviously I'm not going to count out Belgium. Like they, they came to qualify top of the group with one loss, um, but it's also their second ever Euro appearance. Whereas I mean, you're looking at an, well, not an Italy team, obviously, from the same thing, but like the best Euro finish for Italy was back in 1993. So, and, and this is, this could be, this could be the little romantic story we're looking for. <laughs> well, this, this, but this is, and it's a, it's a weird Italy squad, right? Like you've got a few younger players who have broken through the last few years. And then you've got a few players who, you know, the bigger names, Barbara Bonanzea, for example. Um, this is probably a last tournament or one of the definitely one of the last tournaments for her for Christiana Girelli so sure. what do you think that's a good balance or do you think this is more like the younger players that have broken through Agnesi Bofantini and I mean she's great I love her and I think that she was really starting to thrive under Joe Montemiro um over the last season do, do you I, see I this that... summer as a chance for her to learn to like take the mantle on from those players or do you think it's like that perfect time for that mixture of youth and experience to actually surprise a few people and, and do well i think it's i think it's actually just like a conflation of styles and what's been standard for italy because even mm. on the men's side they tend to have more older leaning and now we're suddenly getting this in influx of, of youth which has been much needed um i i think that that mixture is familiar it's what people like to deal with um, but, uh, I, I do, I think there, there is definitely a happy medium. I think I'd like to see a little bit more, um, from the youth, um, because there will be that inevitable changing of the guard. Like you meant like Christiana Girelli is one of my favorites. Um, obviously like Barbara Bonasea, great, um, Valentina Chernoa, um, all three Juve, which will be in the attack likely for, um, for this Italy squad, but yeah, like they need to start adding more youth faster. And I think that's probably a universal lesson that a lot of the national team squads are learning um, is, you know, you, you have to let, give your youth a chance much quicker than we have been. Cause I think it's, you gotta, you gotta trust them so that they gain the confidence to actually become that next player. Like let's get the next uh, Girelli in line, you know, like, we need to be more prepared for this. And I think that some of it came from just like the way that um, like the Italian teams get managed, but it's also reflected in, in even like women's Serie A. So um, not too much of a deviation. So, and how much of an advantage is it that, like you say, the, the front three is probably all going to be Juventus 
it's not just the front three. You've got Ariana Caruso in midfield as well. You've got Lisa Boatin, uh, uh, Sarah Gama as well. What advantage? Martina Rosucci. Yeah, like it's a largely, it's a very, very Juve heavy uh, So all these players, they're used to playing with each other. They know how each other plays, what each other's going to do. And not only that, like a lot of them have been with the squad or are sort of new entrants for for the Juve women, and they're on their fifth consecutive league title. Um, Copa Italia's, Super Copa's on top of each other. So I think that that will certainly help them gel. But again, like, how are they going to stand? Are they going to be as sturdy against some of the younger squads? Like France is, you know, a very pacey, younger squad in contrast. That's going to be a challenge for sure. So we're saying Italy, but like you say, you don't want to write off Belgium or Iceland with some of the names in their squads, right? I mean, yeah, Belgium, for sure. I as mean, you mentioned in qualifying, so Belgium only lost one game in, yeah. in qualifying. They were in the group with, with Switzerland, um, among others. I think Romania and Croatia as well. Uh, what actually, can we expect uh, from Belgium? Good, because I think okay. similarly to Portugal, you've got a team there where a lot of the players are domestic and people haven't heard their names or really seen them so far. For sure. I think the other thing, and I'm just thinking about this now, this is all your fault, (laughs) is um, the contrasting ages between even Belgium and Italy. Um, Belgium rely on their pace a lot, probably a lot more than some of the other squads in this group. They like to play narrow and force teams wide, and that could be highly problematic. For Italy, you mean? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, sorry. I know you like you've said that through gritted teeth. Now I, I know. Now I'm like, no, I'm upset. I'm, you've just I've upset me. You made me hurt my own feelings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I'm supposed to take blame for that or not. So, so with, um, with no, Belgium, we've so, got. Uh, sorry, go on. Go ahead. Um, I'm just trying to think of what what they got on that squad. I mean, that's another one that like. Uh, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank at the moment. Um, Janice Kamen who also mm-hmm. plays like 15 different roles. So mid, she can play right back. She can play wing, um, wherever they want to throw her. Um, and then uh, Tessa Wall- uh, Wallert, um, their striker, who's pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, like previously of, of Wolfsburg, of Man City. Yeah. And, and and both of those two were outscored by Tina De Cagni in, in qualifying as well. So you've got, there are definitely goals in this Belgium team. Yeah, I'm, I'm reconsidering things right now. I might have to <laughs> mentally make, make my peace with the fact that Belgium might come out hammering. Um, I mean, they're kind of fun to watch, even though, you know, we only get this glimpse every once in a while. Oh, and I personally wouldn't be ruling Iceland out either. I think you when you this is the this is what's so interesting about this group compared to the one that we talked about before, where you've got these you've got two teams that should qualify, and then maybe one of the other two can upset someone. In this group, you've got a team that should definitely qualify, and then three teams that probably don't have all that much separating them. So you know, you talk about some of those some of those names for for Italy and, and a couple for Belgium as well. But there are a few big names. There are a lot of long names, but there are a few big names in the Iceland squad too. <laughs> I'm like, here we go. Now for the pronunciation key portion <laughs> of, the, of the pod. No, um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The only thing for me is, again, Iceland. They're, they're definitely the, the little bitty guys. 
fourth time qualifying um, in the history of Euros, and they've only made it out of the group stage once, and that was in 2013. So, hey, anything can happen. It's a big roll of the dice. But I think my, if I have a gripe, we'll call it a gripe. It's fine. Um, if I have a gripe with Iceland, I just feel like they play a little bit more like flat and boring. Like there's not, it's lacking mm. flavor, you know, like they need some spice. It's just, they like their long balls down the middle. Um, and, and like, I don't know. It's the, the thing is, I guess for me, the, the talent that they have, which they do, don't go, don't get me wrong. Um, like what was it, uh, John Stother uh, that did like a lot of heavy lifting for Wolfsburg this season. Um, mm-hmm. She definitely deserves some hype. Um, pretty technical winger, like great player. But I feel like the the way that they play for Iceland doesn't match up with some of the talent that they play. Like I feel like they're more talented than than the systems they're playing in. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, that that would be the interesting thing is how much Iceland can get Sara, Bjork, Gunnarsdottir and uh, Svende Jonsdottir on the ball and how much they can influence the play and dictate what Iceland are going to do. Like that will be make or break because I think they will be, like you say, the sort of traditional Icelandic way of playing football, I guess, is is quite organised and tough to break down and long balls <laughs> you're so, and physical. You're so you eloquent. Know? You're like, yeah, the, the traditional way. I'm like, man, they're boring. Why are you being so boring? Give me something. <laughs> you know, but like that. That's the question for me. Is like, let's call let's call them boring if if you want to call them boring. But you don't then, have to. But Gunnarsdottir <laughs> and Jonsdottir in particular, like they'll they're the two players who could maybe sprinkle a bit of magic there, and yes. it'll be and a question I mean. of like, how much they get the ball. I would love to see them with a little bit more flair. Like let them let them spread their wings. Be be the players that they are in like a little bit more I don't I'm not saying go full fancy, but you know, like let's play a little bit. That will be those two players will be the ones to watch I think for Iceland and then we'll see depending on their levels of in, involvement in games and you know, it'll be tough too even if even if that is the plan they're playing against good teams it's not going to be as easy as just getting them the ball you have to get the ball first and then right. make sure they can do something with it but right. that will be interesting and then i mean while we're here we might as well go all the way through the tournament tree right because the winners of these groups are going to play the runners up of these groups and and obviously then vice versa that's, so that's stress instantly <laughs> so who so who have you got winning group c um man it's really easy to be like hey this one or this one but to to say definitely you said sweden before i'm just gonna remind you i know i know i i i have i have openly said that and uh i'm just just ruminating is all because i'm just thinking of will uh I mean, Fridolina Rolfo, pretty, pretty impressive. But then we also have Viv, who is probably one of my favorite players to watch. Technique, she's low-key, very strong, though you'd never guess Mm -hmm. it. Um, She's quick. Uh, Let's see. You know what? Um... 
I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with Sweden. I'm going to go Sweden. All right, so we've got Sweden, and are you still. You're going to stick with your heart and go with Italy to Italy, Sweden as one quarterfinal. Okay. Uh, like, or, I have or, to, or, or I should? No, no, I, like, I'm assuming, I guess. You're assuming. I mean, my assumption is I think that France will have Group D in a headlock. But um, for purposes of uh, deviating from the norm, yeah. Let's go, let's go Italy upset. Whoa, whoa, whoa Italy to win the group. Uh-huh. So we'll get Sweden <laughs> against... France, and you've got the Netherlands to play Italy. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first. If this all plays out, I will be just as surprised as all of the rest of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christine, I don't know how to respond to that. So, I mean, the Listen, tournament Somebody's is... got to go full wild. I, we have, what, we have, what, five more days to recover? Four more days. What, what yeah, day well, not yeah, not not by the time people are listening <laughs> to this, there'll be yeah. The, there we go. Um, yeah, Euro twenty twenty two is right around the corner, and I think that's a good place to leave it. Christine, thanks, massive thank you for for joining me and talking about all eight of those teams in, in Group C and D. How can people find you if they if they want to find you if you want to be found on on Twitter and how they can find your work. Oh, I usually, I usually like being found. I have a pretty good, um, bunch of, well, everybody's my friend that, that we follow each other and interact on Twitter. So you can always find me there at C Coupo. Um, and I'm also on Instagram at Miss Coupo, M-I-S-S-C-U-P-O. Um, and stay tuned for more stuff, um, as the, uh, domestic seasons resume. Christine, again, massive thanks for joining us and everybody listening. I hope you have, like Christine, a wonderful summer and enjoy watching the competition. Thanks so much for having me.